Lesson 8 for August 15 through to 21, Cross-Cultural Missions. Sabbath afternoon, August 15. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you with the hearts that we have today. Some are heavy, some are joyous, some are troubled. And as we pray to you today, as we begin this week's lesson, we pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us. May we see the love of Jesus. May the Holy Spirit work in our hearts and our minds as we open your word. And may we see how we can share the word of God. We can share the message of Jesus' soon return with those around us. We pray in Jesus' dear name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Let's read that again, Matthew twelve eighteen. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. How interesting that Jesus spent so much of his earlier years in Galilee, known as Galilee of the Gentiles in Matthew 4.15, no doubt named because of the non-Jewish influence in the province. In this region, in Nazareth, Jesus spent the majority of his years before starting his public ministry. Thanks to its position, Nazareth was near major routes travelled by Roman army units, as well as merchant caravans. As a result, Jesus must have been in contact with non-Jews his whole early life, not to mention the time in Egypt. After his rejection in Nazareth, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus centred his ministry in the cosmopolitan Galilean city of Capernaum contacts with Gentiles and their world significantly impacted his ministry and teaching. Even though he focused on Israel, the wider world was his concern. During the more than three years of his ministry between his baptism and ascension, on at least six occasions, Jesus had direct contact with persons from Gentile nations. We will look this week at the Gospel accounts of these contacts. Sunday, August 16, The Samaritan Woman In the time of Jesus, ancient Israel was divided into three provinces, Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. Samaria was situated between Galilee and Judea. The Samaritans worshipped the God of Israel, but they also worshipped pagan gods imported from foreign lands. As an initial mission field, Samaria was ideal for the apostles because it was geographically close to Israel. Question. Read John chapter 4, verses 4 through to 30. What can we learn from this story about how Jesus witnessed to non-Jews? In what ways did Jesus step outside the bounds of tradition in order to reach out to this woman? John chapter 4, verse 4. But he needed to go through Samaria. 
So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband, and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. The Samaritan woman was alert, well informed about the history of her people, and asked intelligent questions. She led the conversation with her questions. Jesus, however, responded to her questions and statements with the things that would benefit the woman spiritually. The only point where Jesus changed the conversation was when he told her to bring her husband, knowing that she wasn't married but had been with several men. Of course, 
Asking her to do this opened the way for him to reach out to her, however uncomfortable she had become. Nevertheless, by doing this, he was able to witness to her in a powerful way. Also, we shouldn't miss what happened in chapter 4, verse 27. The disciples were surprised because Jesus was talking with this foreign woman. Jesus transgressed a few Jewish customs. First, asking a Samaritan woman to give him a drink. Second, being alone with her. In Israel, a man could not be seen alone with a woman unless she was a family member. Jesus followed Jewish customs when in Israel. However, in Samaria, he was outside Jewish territory and not bound by Jewish traditions, even though, as we have seen elsewhere, Jesus distinguished between human-made traditions and the commands and precepts of God. And so to finish today, how far out of your own comfort zone are you willing to go in order to minister to others? How far should you go? Monday, August 17, The Roman Army Officer Question. Read Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 13, and also Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. What does this story teach us about how even the largest cultural divides can be breached for the sake of the gospel? First of all, Matthew 8, verses 5 to 23. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now, when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, 
Let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, when he got into a boat, his disciples followed him. And Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So, when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes, and to my servant, Do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. In Capernaum, a Roman officer of centurion rank, commander of one hundred men, sought out Jesus. The Jews resented the occupying Roman army, and many Romans hated the Jews. Despite this vast cultural and political divide, we can see the close relationship here between this Roman and the Jews. In Luke's account, he said that the centurion went to the elders of the Jews to ask them to bring Jesus, and fascinatingly enough, they did just that, asking Jesus to come heal the man's servant. Who were these elders? The text doesn't say, but it seemed to have related to Jesus differently than did some of the other leaders. Meanwhile, the centurion was obviously a man of faith. His words to Jesus, "'Speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed,' were an incredible testimony to his belief in Jesus. The centurion did not wait, as Ellen White says in Desire of Ages, page 317, to see whether the Jews themselves might receive the one who claimed to be their Messiah, as the light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world had shone upon him, he had, though afar off, discerned the glory of the Son of God. End of quote. The centurion understood and respected Jewish religious sensitivities. He knew that, according to law, a Jew was not allowed to enter a Gentile's house, so he requested that Jesus minister from a distance. The servant was healed. The faith of the Gentile centurion was rewarded. Jesus pointed out that the centurion was a prototype of the great day when people from all over the world would join the Jewish patriarchs at the Messianic Banquet. And so, to finish the day, whatever else one can take from the accounts of this healing, we can see that vast cultural divides were not able to keep the Jews and this Roman apart. What lessons can we take from this about how we must learn to transcend whatever cultural differences we can in good conscience in order to reach out to others? 
Tuesday, August 18, dealing with demons. Question. Read Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, and Matthew 15, verses 21 to 28. How did these stories help us understand how Jesus related to non-Jews? How do we understand Jesus' word to the Canaanite woman? Also, what lessons should the disciples have picked up seeing Jesus minister to those who were not part of the covenant people? First of all, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 26, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds, and was driven by the demon, into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And in Matthew 15, beginning at verse 21, there's a similar story. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he beheld. A woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The region of the Gadarenes was an area formerly dominated by Greece, but 
it had become part of the Roman province of Judea. The man in the tombs was obviously possessed, and his possession manifested itself in horrific ways. He truly needed divine aid, which he got. That this liberation took place in Gentile territory is confirmed by the presence of the pigs. It is interesting to notice the reaction to the economic loss when the pigs drowned. The townspeople asked Jesus to leave their territory. Jesus in turn asked the healed man to stay. He was to witness to his own people about Jesus. No doubt, too, his changed life, even more than his words, would be a powerful testimony. In the next incident, the child in the region of Tyre and Sidon was demon-possessed and suffering terribly, as it said in verse 22. Her mother, a Canaanite, illustrated the cultural melting pot of that region. Her Canaanite ancestors were displaced from their land when Israel inherited it under the leadership of Joshua. Here again, we see Jesus reaching out to those who weren't of Israel proper. In talking to her, Jesus used somewhat harsh language, likening her people to dogs. But it tested her faith and showed her humble willingness to get the help she needed. As Ellen White writes in Desire of Ages, page 401, the Saviour is satisfied. He has tested her faith in him. By his dealings with her, he has shown that she who has been regarded as an outcast from Israel is no longer an alien, but a child in God's household. As a child, it is her privilege to share in the Father's gifts. Christ now grants her request and finishes the lesson to the disciples. End of quote. The lesson was that Contrary to their understanding, the work of the gospel is not just for the Jews, but is to go to other nations as well. Wednesday, August 19. Ten lepers. Question. Read Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. What lessons are here for us, regardless of our nationality or origins? Beginning at verse 11 in Luke chapter 17. Now it happened, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then, as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So, when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was, that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned, and with a loud voice glorified God, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found that returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Notice first that the unfortunate men all knew Jesus. They called him by both name and title, pleading for intervention. What's fascinating, too, is that they were not cleansed right then and there. 
they were told simply to go and present themselves to the priests, as specified in Leviticus 14.2. This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The fact that they just turned around and went showed that they believed in him and his power to heal them. Only the Samaritan, though, expressed appreciation for what Jesus had done. The nine did not forget to go to the priests, but they neglected to give thanks to their healer. The Samaritan, as the text reads, turned around even before he got to the priests. Though the text doesn't say that the other nine were Jews, the location makes it very likely. Besides, the fact that Luke specifically mentioned that he was a Samaritan and that Jesus called him this stranger in verse 18 makes it likely that the other nine were indeed Jews. Although Jews normally had no dealings with the Samaritans, their malady transcended those barriers. Common misfortune and tragedy, what Albert Schweitzer termed the fellowship of suffering, had broken down an ethnic divide. Their common need for cleansing, healing and saving had brought them collectively to Jesus. Nevertheless, Samaritans and other foreigners were not the immediate goal for Jesus' ministry. As it says in Matthew 15:24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He planned first to establish a strong mission base among the Jews. Throughout his ministry, however, he gave his followers evidence that the gospel should go to the whole world. Although this point became clear only after his resurrection, even before then, Jesus did things that were to open the minds of the disciples to the idea that world mission would become their main task. So to finish the day, though all these men showed faith, only one turned around and thanked the Lord for what he had received. What does this tell us about the reasons that praise and thanksgiving are so important for faith? What are the things you have to be thankful for? Think about how much happy you'd be if you constantly kept them before you. And what better way than by thanking God for all that you have to be thankful for? Thursday, August 20. The Greeks and Jesus. John 12, verses 20 to 23 reads, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Question. How does this incident help us to understand the heartfelt cry of people everywhere for salvation, for hope, for answers that can be found only in Jesus? These Greeks were probably converts to Judaism since they came to Jerusalem to worship at the feast. Commentators have noted that these Greeks went to Philip, who, though Jewish, had a Greek name, which might have attracted them to him. 
Thus, while pioneering Christian work can be accomplished by foreign missionaries who have cultural sensitivity and a sympathetic understanding of the people they want to win for Christ, the most effective groundbreaking work is done by people with the same background as the target people. The Greeks came only days before Jesus' crucifixion. They no doubt were amazed by his words about his suffering, death and final victory. The voice from heaven gave them something to think about as well. Jesus would have been encouraged by their desire to see him. Their approach signalled the beginning of world evangelism. It was acknowledged even by the Pharisees who had exclaimed, The world has gone after him in John chapter 12 verse 19. What we see here are men outside of Judaism wanting to come to Jesus. What a sign that the world was ready for his atoning death. These Greeks, representing the nations, tribes and peoples of the world, were being drawn to him. Soon the Saviour's cross would draw the people of all lands and in all subsequent times to him. The disciples would find the world ready to receive the gospel. And so to finish the day, read John chapter 12 verses 20 to 32. What is Jesus saying about losing your life in order to keep it? Why would he say that in this immediate context? And how have you experienced just what he is talking about? John chapter 12, beginning at verse 20. Now there were certain Greeks among them who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honour. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came into this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, saying, I have both glorified it, and will glorify it again. Therefore the people who stood by and heard it said that it was thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. Friday, August 21. Matthew 8, verses 11 and 12 read... I say to you that many will come from the east and the west 
and will make their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Though these words were spoken in a particular context, in reference to a particular people, we shouldn't miss the principle. Those who have been given great privileges, great advantages in terms of spiritual and theological truths, need to be careful. It's easy to become complacent about truths that we have been given, truths that in some cases no one else is preaching and teaching. First, we need to make sure that we keep ourselves grounded in these truths. Then, second, we need to be willing to teach these to those who don't know them. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. 1. The cross has shown us the absolute universality of all humanity. Before God we are all sinners and we all need grace for salvation. Nevertheless, many groups often do see themselves as superior to others. This is common, and has been all through history. What about yourself and your own ethnic, social, financial, or cultural group? In what ways do you harbour, and don't fool yourself you do harbour, a sense of superiority to others different from you? What's wrong with that attitude, and How can you learn at the foot of the cross to change it? Question 2. The woman at the well went back and witnessed to her own people about Jesus. What does this teach us about missions and the importance of using those of a particular culture to reach their own people? And question 3. The Greeks wanted to see Jesus. No doubt they had heard about him or had themselves seen some of the things he had done. Jesus, of course, is now in heaven, and the church, his people, represent him on earth. What does this mean for us in terms of the kind of life we live and the kind of witness we present? Inside Story. Our mission story this week is a continuation of Faithful Bride, and it's by Rena Murmu from Bangladesh, and I think Rena is one of the children. A year after Boudroy became a Seventh day Adventist Christian, his elder brother died. Then Shanty became seriously ill with malaria. She didn't respond to medicines, and she became increasingly ill. When the fever left, Shanty's mother-in-law accused her of pretending to be ill. Shanty pleaded with God, Why are you allowing me to suffer so in this family? Even her husband grew discouraged and blamed God for their troubles. Shanty's mother learned of her daughter's grave illness from some other villagers, so she set out to see her daughter. Shanty's mother-in-law greeted Shanty's mother with a demand, Take her home with you. She is no good to us. Shanty's mother took her daughter home. But her baby, Rena, remained with Shanty's husband and mother-in-law. Shanty's mother took her to the hospital where doctors would treat her properly. Meanwhile, Shanty's mother-in-law was sure that Shanty would die and began looking for a new wife for Budroy. But Budroy told them he was not interested in marrying someone else. 
In time, Shanty recovered from her illness, but instead of returning to her mother-in-law's home, she stayed with her mother. Meanwhile, her sister-in-law, whose husband had died, demanded that she be given her share of the family's land for her three sons. While she had a right to the family land, her demand put her parents-in-law into crisis because they could not survive without their land. The selfish daughter-in-law wanted everything she could get for herself and her sons. Slowly, Shanty's mother-in-law realised that Shanty had been a faithful daughter-in-law, while her other daughter-in-law had been selfish and demanding. She asked Boudroy to go bring Shanty home. Boudroy went to visit Shanty. He told her of his mother's change of heart and invited her to return home with him. Shanty was eager to see her little girl again. She packed her things and returned with her husband. She was overjoyed to find that her mother-in-law had changed so much. The older woman welcomed Shanty back into the home and treated her with kindness and respect. Shanty was determined to be the best Christian she could, hoping that her once cruel mother-in-law would give her life to Jesus. Several years later, Shanty's mother-in-law gave her life to Christ before she died. Boudroy also renewed his commitment to Christ, and now the family lives together in peace as Christians. The faithful young bride had survived trials and taunting, and led her husband and parents-in-law to Jesus. And it says at the bottom of the page here that Rena Murmu is the eldest daughter of Shanty and Boudroy. She'd like to become a physician. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful.